0: If you have a Bible, turn to 1 Timothy chapter 6. We have been studying for several months in this book, one of the last letters of the Apostle Paul uh, to the uh, young pastor who was the pastor at the church of Ephesus. And so we find ourselves in chapter 6, and he's giving various exhortations to Timothy and obviously to the church of Jesus Christ as well. We're going to read this, and we're going to pray. But before I do that, we said hello, we said welcome to several people who have joined our church. Um, And uh, so from time to time, we say goodbye uh, to those who have been a part of us and who've really uh, thrown in their lot with us. And you may not know them, but uh, a fine young couple that's been a part of our church for, for some time now, Daniel and Jenny Adams. They usually sit right back here. Daniel and Jenny, are you here today? Your, your hand went up like that. Raise your hand real high, and I won't make you stand. Okay, and uh, they're moving away from us, and they're two boys, Oliver and Winston, and we just thank God uh, for a group uh, of young adults like this, love God, love the Word, and uh, so we're grateful for them. Sorry to lose you, but uh, we know that God has a, a rich plan for you in the days ahead. So here we find ourselves in chapter 6 of 1 Timothy, one verse today. Really, I started out doing I was going to do 6 through 10, realized there's no way, and so we're doing kind of a two-part thing. We'll come back, the Lord willing, next week and talk a little bit more in depth about what this means. But this is basically what God what Paul said to Timothy, and he said, you need to tell the church this. You need need to warn Christians about one of the most devastating things that can happen to them, and he says it like this in verse 6. Now, there is great gain in godliness with contentment. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you that your word always speaks to us, You've spoken to us already with your Word being read. You've spoken to us in the fact that the the Word has been sung. And Lord, we are grateful now that I have the opportunity. I am so grateful to share the things that I've been studying now for really a a little while and the the depth of what you have to say to us. Lord, I pray that we would hear it well and hear that uh, godliness with contentment, is a means of incredible profit. So uh, assist us by the power of your Holy Spirit as we now uncover these truths in your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If someone were about to fall into a pit, and at the bottom of the pit there were sharpened stakes, that has been away in the past in other parts of the world where they've tried to capture animals and even sometimes people, unfortunately. And you knew about this person walking along, the trap was covered, and you knew about it. Would it be right to warn them? I think so. And so that's exactly what Paul is doing. Now, what I read to you a minute ago might not have sounded like much of a warning. But next week, the Lord willing, we'll get to a little bit more and flesh out this thing of godliness with contentment is is a means of great gain. And then he launches in this next part into some of the, the things that are problematic with a heart attitude that desires riches, wealth, power, all of these things more than God, specifically here we're talking about wealth. Let's look at it like this. I use the analogy of the sharp sticks. That's exactly the picture that Paul paints. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving. Again, this is a hard attitude that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. That word is sorrows. And so the warning is given. I was reading about a guy that, who has been a leader in churches and that kind of thing, and to summarize his life, someone said about him, people need a laugh, not a lecture. I get the, the feeling behind that, that sometimes what we need is to be encouraged and maybe sometimes with laughter, and not a lecture. And some of you probably would say amen. But when Paul comes to this passage of Scripture, he does not use that philosophy with teaching the people of God that godliness is actually a means of great gain. Now, in case you haven't been here or it's been a while since you you have been here, remember the context, and we're going to look at the context of this. If you will back up just a little bit the context, Paul is talking about false teachers who have as their goals. I'm not going to get very much in the details. We're going to see this next week, and we're going to see it in, in 2 Timothy particularly. The goals of the false teachers was primarily, number one, wealth or money or riches. The second thing they were after was, I don't know how else to say it, sex. And if you'll look back into the last verse, Paul calls these false teachers, and you can see why he says this, men who are depraved in mind and deprived of of the truth. And he's saying this to the church, don't follow them. here's what they're going to tell you. Boy, it sounds so close to what Paul says, but it's so different. They're going to tell you that godliness is a means of gain. So what in the world does that mean? It means that their godliness, listen please, their godliness is a pretense. Their godliness is something that does not reflect their heart that's out for wealth and out for sexual pleasure, but rather their heart is to gain those things, and they will use the outward trappings of godliness. And that's all it is, the outward Let's look at something that Paul is going to say in 2 Timothy. It says about these people, and this describes it a little bit more, they have the appearance of godliness, but they deny its power. What do you do with those kinds of people? You avoid those kinds of people. Because, as he says in that verse that we just read a few moments ago, that they will lead you into much pain. They will lead you into a piercing and many sorrows, the unsuspecting among us. Now, the eternal ruin that he's speaking of here is the word that is used in the King James for perdition, which means an ultimate punishment in hell. And we are to pursue godliness, listen to me, you and I are to pursue godliness as if our very lives depend on it, because they do. Now, let's look at, a, at this. These are two verses that I've combined. Sometimes I'll do this. And by the way, if, if you're not normally accustomed to, to how we do this here, this is primarily what we want to do, show you in the Scripture so that you're not just listening to what a man says. And so here are a couple of verses that talk about just this, about godliness and the importance of it, the eternal importance of godliness. What I'm trying to, to impress upon you is that godliness for the Christian. If you're not a Christian today, this doesn't apply to you. Hopefully you will get saved before the end of the, the service, and so this will apply to you because godliness is the only way we get to enter into heaven. I'm going to read some of this, but listen to this very carefully. There will be no ungodly people in heaven. Now, we're doing the Lord's Supper today. It should be obvious to you from the, the, the teaching that we have done over the years, we are not talking about a works theology as if you have to be godly to earn it, but rather it's the other way around because you are born again, we'll talk about that in a second, because you are born again, that godliness is a natural byproduct of the fact that you have been born again. There are many verses I've selected too. Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment. Now, that, those words, and, and unfortunately they don't, they really ought to make us tremble judgment on all and convict all the who? Who? Oh, well, now wait, wait, you say. I'm a good Baptist. It talks about a very specific group, the ungodly, of all their deeds of ungodliness. It almost sounds as, as if it, it, Jude is, is, is trying to make a point here, and he is, of all the deeds of ungodliness that they have committed in such an ungodly way, and then wrap it up with what Peter says, by the same word, the heavens and the earth that now exist are stored up for fire. That's yet future, but it will come. Being kept until the day of judgment and the destruction of which group? What if they're a member of a church? The key is not your status as a member of the church. The key is, are you growing in godliness? Because it has to do with your eternal destiny. Now, let me just stop right here. I... We can just preach sermons and listen to sermons and come and sing and do all the rest of that, or we can hopefully what we will do. Every one of us in this room today, and I've I've been pouring over this for for my own life, and I've been asking this particular question that I'm about to ask you on a scale of 1 to 10, with 1 being the most ungodly, 10 being the most godly, where would you put yourself Today on that scale. I'm not asking for a personal testimony at this point. But it's important that we take this to heart because Paul is painting for us an incredibly positive statement about true godliness. Now, we've just said the false prophets are all about an outward appearance of godliness. They don't care about what's happening on the inside. But we're talking about true godliness. And Paul makes this incredible statement. And in doing that, what he does is to put it into contrast. The false prophets will say that a certain kind of outward godliness is a means of gain. Basically, what they're saying is they will look spiritual to get money. Does that sound like preachers perhaps today in our Western culture? And not just the, the health and wealth, folks. It, 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 it can be just across the board. So Paul is talking about there is great gain. There is, in fact, I love the word here. The word is mega. Mega gain. There is, I, I, I had this thought, the, all of the, uh, the, the lottery out there? Mega millions? Now, it's one thing to have millions. It's another thing to have mega millions. And so, here's what Paul is saying. True godliness actually is a means of great mega gain. Who doesn't want mega gain? For yourself and for your family, I would refer you to the quote by Richard Baxter over on the side. Richard Baxter was a Puritan. Some of these names you will not recognize, some you might, but he was an old time. He's he's a dead Puritan. We've got modern-day Puritans, but he wrote something very, very insightful. Read it with me silently as I read this. Parents, it is in your hands to do your children the greatest kindness or cruelty in all the world. Help them to know God and to be saved. And you do more for them than if you help them to be lords or princes. If you neglect their souls and breed them in ignorance, worldliness, ungodliness, and sin, you betray them to the devil, the enemy of our souls, even as truly as if you sold them to him. When I read these words of Richard Baxter, I immediately thought back because we went last week to see that movie Sound of Freedom that has been panned by a lot of people and I, Janice, Jan and I just left and we is that really are we that unaware who would sell a child Richard Baxter says, unless you train your children for godliness, that is exactly what you're doing. You betray them to the devil, the enemy of our souls, even as truly as you'd sold them to him. You sell them to be slaves of Satan. Wow. You betray them to him that will deceive them and abuse them in this life and torment them in the next. True godliness And that's what we're after. True godliness actually is, Paul says, a means of great gain. Right? Almost right. I, I love these statements that sound so close, but they're gotcha statements. Paul doesn't say that godliness is a means of great gain. Look at what he says. What do you got to add to it? Godliness with contentment actually is a means of great gain. And that is the key. Listen to me. Here's here's the gospel, in case you haven't heard it. You were created in God's image. Children, listen to me. Young people, listen to me. You were created in God's image. The Bible says it. And by the way, you're going to have, throughout life, you're going to have some source of authority. The Bible is the best source of authority that you can have ever. And so the Bible says that you were created in the image of God. You are an image bearer. You're like little mirrors of God to reflect the glory of God. And yet we know that Adam sinned. Because of Adam's sin, all of mankind was plunged into, into darkness and into sin. And so all of us who have been born since Adam, with the exception of the Lord Jesus Christ, of course, are born into sin. And we are fallen into sin. We, our mirror has been shattered We can no longer reflect the glory of God, but lo and behold, God sent his Son to bear our sins on the cross, and that's what we're going to be celebrating in a few moments in the Lord's Supper, so that we could have not only our sins borne and be free of sin, but we could also have the righteousness of Christ imputed to us. What an incredible gospel truth that is, and therefore you and I, because we have been restored and we're continuing that growth process, we can become once again image bearers. That's what Paul was saying in 2 Corinthians 3.18, we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of the glory to another, and this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. And praise the Lord. What does that mean? This last week, I pulled off of my shelf uh, two, and in fact, they are original copies. i I looked at the the front of the books, two books by Jerry Bridges. And if you know of Jerry Bridges, worked for the Navigators for many, many years, wrote two, two very important, seminal books uh, in the life of the church, I think, I bought one of the first cop- copies and began to use it in discipling. It was called The Pursuit of Holiness. And then he followed that several late years later, 1983, with the book The Practice of Godliness. So obviously, I pulled that off of my shelf. I began to read through, and I was so encouraged by what Jerry Bridges said. And, and he, he, he really keys on this verse. And I thought, I've got to share this because... You've got to understand what God is after with you as a born-again follower of Christ, okay? Super important. Now, I'm going to illustrate this. I thought about this this morning. I thought, I don't normally do this. But then I thought, I do it every Wednesday night for the third and fourth graders in Awana, and now an Adventure Club, and I can't wait to get started. It starts on August the 30th. So if you got some third and fourth graders, Ms. Chan and, and I will be lead. We've got some other helpers, and we, we have a lot of fun. I use, a, I use a lot of very visual illustrations. That's what I'm doing today. Did anybody notice, or did you care? Well, what's wrong with his foot? Okay, now watch this. Look at what Paul says and how easy it is for us to visualize. So, third and fourth graders, I'm hoping that you'll get it. If you get it, there's hope that your parents will get it, okay? All right. Here is how we grow in what God wants us to be as new creations in Christ. Holiness and godliness, Holiness is a different thing than godliness. Holiness is when we put off, look at it, what he says, the old self. And the, the, the picture that Paul is painting there for, again, the church at Ephesus, is that we are to take off like old, dirty, rotten, decrepit clothing. Take it off. That's holiness being separated from sin, being separated to God. So put off, take off the old which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desire. And you know, Christians can fall back into this and we need to be reminded of this because Paul puts this in the present tense. You Christians make it your life on a daily basis to put off the old. Does anybody besides me have remnants of the old the corrupt. So watch this. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to do what Paul says in that first part. Are you watching? I'm going to take off this old. Whew. I use this for working around the yard. This is corrupt. This is rotten. <laughs> and I'm going to take this off. So, okay, I'm okay, aren't I? No, because the other side of that has to happen. Not only do we put off, that's holiness, we put off the old, but we are putting on the new, put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Jackson, catch that. Okay. That's the whole picture of what we're trying to, to say here for every one of us in this room, whether you're a third and fourth grader or you're an 80-year-old. You're not going to get away from this until the day we go to be with the Lord. But here's what he's saying. True godliness is never alone. Now, I, I, I don't think I ever saw this before. I've, I've pastored, I've taught for a long time I don't think I ever saw this before about the importance of contentment. You can't, listen to me, we're going to get into those three things on your outline in just a minute. You cannot be godly without contentment. And you won't be content, if you're a believer in Christ, without godliness. And that's what so many of us have done. Even as believers, we've tried to fill that void with other things of the flesh, the old rotten areas, and you know they don't satisfy. What is the only thing for a believer that will ever satisfy? Contentment with Christ. When we did mission work in Peru... I uh, traveled a lot. This is back at our other church. And we, I traveled a lot with a guy from Puerto Rico. And so he, he always tried to teach me certain Spanish idioms and things like that. One of the things he taught me, and if you do speak Spanish, if you're fluent, I know I'm going to butcher it. But one of the things he taught me that I still do to this day, if we go to a Mexican-American, Spanish flavored restaurant, and we have just eaten, and the waiter or waitress comes to the table and says, how was it? I respond with, "Briga, llena, corazon contento. How did I do, Criselda? Okay, good. She gave me a thumbs up. You know what that means? My stomach is full, satisfecho, there's no more room and out listen to this this is so good my heart is happy and that's the whole key to godliness being full with the person of the lord jesus christ now by the way this is this is not normal it it is natural but this is supernatural Paul says this, not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. We'll come back to this. Do you remember where he was when he was talking about this? I know how to be brought low, how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Why? Because he had learned this secret. Boy, I'm telling you, There are some people in this room that if you would learn this secret, your life would be radically transformed. My grace is sufficient for you. That's supernatural. Now, let me refer you to another quote. I quoted an old Puritan. This is a newer Puritan, Jerry Bridges, and I found this in his book. The Practice of Godliness. It's an outstanding book. The contented person experiences the sufficiency of God's provision for his needs and the sufficiency of God's grace for his circumstances. Wow. He believes God will indeed meet all his material needs and that he will work in all of his circumstances for his good. That is why Paul could say godliness with contentment is great gain. The godly person has found what the greedy or envious or discontented person always searches for but never finds. He has found satisfaction and rest in his soul. Do you you realize that the first temptation of mankind had to do with discontent? Eve had everything she needed, everything, and then some. And what did the devil do? What did, did the serpent do? Basically, try to get her to doubt God, to trust God and his sufficiency, and to say, ah, you don't really have everything. Discontent. Fast forward. What temptation did Satan use with Jesus in the wilderness? Same thing. You're hungry, Jesus. Now meet it this way. He tried to go after his identity. Israel in the wilderness, you remember what? They had food, they had water, and they couldn't stop murmuring and complaining. That's not a little sin. That's not what, again, Jerry Bridges would call a respectable sin, folks. That is a big sin. And lack of contentment, this is for me and for all of us, lack of contentment is incompatible with a godly life. Okay? So let me go back to the scale. I ask first, how are you doing on the scale of godliness? Now let me ask you, and please, just look inside. Allow the Holy Spirit to reveal to you On a scale of 1 to 10, how content are you? Because remember, contentment, godliness, go together. Let's look at these three things that I've mentioned and uh, just to try to to get a handle on, on things that I see today that really apply to this. Number one, if you are truly content, if you want to be godly, you will be content with your possessions. This is huge. This is one of the most strongly worded exhortations in Scripture. I mentioned a minute ago some of the, the things about the, the lottery years ago and the day before the lottery or casinos in, in Arkansas. We didn't have those. So it was the publisher's clearinghouse giveaway. And everybody in church was, you know, they said, oh, I, I've, I've entered I've bought three magazine subscriptions. I think I've got a better chance of doing this. But, oh, if I win, I'm going to tie to the church. And that's the incredible draw of the lottery or casinos. So contentment right here, and most often, most often, it's not the only thing, most often in the Bible is associated with money. So here's a statement for you. Not everyone can be rich. You got that? Not everyone can be rich, rich, but everyone, listen, can be godly with contentment. Okay, I'm trying to get a read on you guys. This is, this is just, you know, about the time you, Jan and I were, were talking about this last week. I said, honey, on a scale of one to ten. We, we talked about this one of the mornings. Where, where, would you, where would you line up? Where would you rate yourself? And I said, well, I would too. Uh, but it's amazing how certain things can reveal how discontent we really are. You know what the key word is here really is stewardship. It's stewardship. If, if, you, if God has blessed you with a, a good income or whatever or a heritage or a legacy, guess where that came from? Didn't come from you because you were smart enough or or, or a hard enough worker. All of those things enter into that, but but riches and honor come from the Lord and and the wisdom of the scriptures in, in praying this kind of prayer. This ought to, whenever you pray, and I hope you do pray through the, the the Lord's prayer as a model from time to time at least. Give us today our daily bread. I use the Lord's prayer as a model, and I pray that. For, for me, for our family, for our church, but I think these words are so filled with wisdom. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for, to me, lest I be full and deny you and say who is the Lord, or lest I be poor and steal and profane In the name of the Lord. and it, it, it almost goes without fail, folks, that the more money enters into it, and if we don't have the right idea about money and being a steward of money, guess what? You don't own money. money. Money soon owns you, and it can draw your heart away from God. When the Lord your God brings you into the land, this is what he said to Israel, when you eat and are full, take care lest you forget Lord, and that's why we must find our lives hidden in Christ. All right, that's what Paul says. Make sure your life is hidden with God in Christ. Marvelous verse, Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. And uh, we, we need to make sure that's happening. Why? So, this is true. Keep your life free from the love of money. You know, this is one of those verses that we're fond of quoting only half. But the whole thing says, keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Why? Why? Because God wants to make you miserable. No, God wants you to be godly, like him, to reflect him. Be content with what you have, for he has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. And there are people in this this room here today that could give abundant testimony to that who've been in financial straits, and yet the Lord has stepped up when it's needful, and His grace has proven sufficient. I have been reading through the Old Testament in my quiet time, and boy, you see pictures of these. Last week I read about Gehazi. Anybody know Gehazi? Yeah, servant of Elisha, and the whole Naaman story. Naaman comes, he's healed, and he offers the prophet money. He said... I don't, want your, I don't need your money. I, I don't need your, your clothing. Gehazi had a different attitude. The servant of Elisha. So without him knowing it, he lies twice, by the way. He runs after Naaman. He says, oh, uh, you, you know what? There are some people, <clears throat> some prophets coming to visit. And so, yeah, give me that money and give me the change of clothing. And Naaman was more than happy to do it. And he got back, and Elisha said, where have you been? He lied. Now, what's interesting in that story is that it never says God took the money away. So, apparently, Gehazi had a pretty neat little living. But guess what he also had? The leprosy that clung to Naaman was now on him. And he said, as a result of that, th- this is consequence. God knows the heart, and he will give the right consequences. Leprosy will not only not leave you, it will never leave your prodigy. It'll never leave your kids, or your grandkids. Hmm. Is that a price that's worth paying? So be content with possessions. Uh Why? We'll talk about this more next week. Did you come into the world with fine clothing? How'd you come into the world? Without clothing. Okay? Watch the birth of all three of my kids. They were a mess, you know, just frankly the way you come into the world. How are you going to leave the world? Oh, they may put a suit on you. You leave the world the same way you came. So all that you've accumulated or tried, this is one of the reasons why. We'll get more into this, I think, next week. And then this other one from Psalm. Don't be afraid when a man becomes rich, your neighbor or whatever. Please don't be envious, for when he dies, he will carry nothing away. We all know the truth of that. So don't desire riches and possessions. Desire godliness, faithfulness to God. Second thing, be content with position, I said. Now, that, this could be anything like power, prestige, relationship. And if the key word for possessions is stewardship, the key word here is humility. Whatever position you've been put in. Now, I'm just going to say this. I hope you're still with me. This could be more difficult than possessions. It really could be. And there are a lot of people in the world who are striving for a different position in life. More prestige. More power. More authority in relationships. uh, Here's a good picture, Third John 9, I've written something to the church, but Diotrephes. this is a perfect picture of a guy, I don't know if he desired riches, but he sure desired something else that's just as destructive, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. And then Romans 12 just says, hey, look, look, look at this, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to think, think so as to have sound judgment, and find your place in life, find your place in the body of Christ and be content. Questions swirling? I hope so. Talk about these over lunchtime. Is it ever right to be discontent? Remind me and I'll answer that in a minute. But we have to be, what does this mean? If you're a child, some of you children are still listening. Some of you students, you're, 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 you're zoned in, you're trying, okay, what, what does this mean for me? How do I apply this? Some of you who are in a marriage, spouse, church, work. One way to see where you fit on the scale. How much are you complaining? against the hand God has dealt you. Oh, that sounds big. And Jan and I like to play games. Our family, like we like to play games. And so we have found this game. Somebody introduced us to it. I, I think it was the McGee's. I can't remember, but anyway. So we play it almost every night. Rummikubes. You draw tiles, and then you try to make, you try to go out. I, I hate to admit this, because this was a, I mean, and you extrapolate from, from small to big. If I can't be satisfied with tiles that are drawn off of a table, what does that say about me for the big things? Seriously. So we're playing, and Jan is beating the fool out of me like she normally does, and I'm, I'm drawing, and I can't even, if you understand the game, I can't even come out. I, you you got to have 30 points to come. I, I've filled the first two rows, and I've got them lined up on the table, and I am fuming. I said, I don't want to play after this, and the, the, Holy Spirit, as he often does, said, okay, godliness with contentment. And a verse came to me. Really? You know, the Holy Spirit will just bring verses to us, usually when we need them, if we put them into our heart. The lot is cast into the lap, but its every decision is from the Lord, and in railing against my hand that I had been dealt Who was I really railing against? Kids and students and adults. that, That could be said for all of us. You know, a minute ago we talked about Gehazi. I also read about Ahab. Remember Ahab? He was the king. He had everything except for Naboth's vineyard. And so what did he do when God didn't deal him the hand that he wanted? He did exactly what I did the other night. He pouted. And, and Jezebel comes in and entices him. Watch out. Hey, you just, I'll line up witnesses. Let's kill Naboth. You can have his vineyard. All will be well. Except God is aware. The prophet Elijah came and said, oh, and by the way, Ahab The dogs will lick your blood, which happened. And Jezebel, you will be dung on the face of the earth. Go back and read that story. It's uh, PG at least, but uh, it's a good story about being content with position. Last one. Let me see if I've got anything more. Oh yeah, Acts chapter 16. Uh, Ahab was discontent. Listen to this. Ahab was a king discontent to sit on the throne. Paul and Silas were content to be in stocks in a jail. Ahab pouted. And Paul and Silas did what? They praised. How could they do that? Here, I've learned to be content in whatever situation I am in. Let me go on to the last one. Content with person. Please, please, please hear me because this is, I agree with a a, a popular trope that's out there that this is one of the most crucial, critical uh, uh, issues of our time. The only thing is the people who are saying this, uh, fronted, fronted, by the way, by Francis Chan, they're taking a different tact as to how to solve it. And, And we need to learn godliness with contentment in terms of our person. Please hear this, okay? God created you. Young man, young woman, child, a boy, a girl, God created you exactly the way He wanted you to be no mistakes. And it's just as simple and as beautiful as that. Now, yes, we are born into sin, and that's the problem today. We, we've got people who are gripped with, with sin. David said this, look, guys, the, what I did when I was 50 goes back to, to, to my birth. You can be drawn away, you can follow people down, false teachers down a path that is going to end up with sharpened stakes. And by the way, if you look up this word, I, there are so many new words and terms that even though I, I, stud, I try to keep up with a lot of this uh, for, for, for your good, uh, this is a word that was interesting when I looked it up. Have you, ever, have you heard of the word Dysphoria. How many of you have heard of the word dysphoria? Okay, put your hands down. How many of you heard of the word dysphoria 10 years ago? If you look it up on Wikipedia, dysphoria simply means a state of unease or dissatisfaction. Hmm, discontent. so what we don't need is people of a depraved mind, deprived of the truth, beguiling our young people who look at themselves, you know, they, they look at that, that passage out of Psalms, they say, okay, I know a holy God, a good God created me, I look in the mirror, I see what's there, can I really trust a God like that? They're, they're, they're experiencing the confusion of that. And we need leaders, pastors, moms and dads, grandparents who will help them to trust what God has done in their life and to say to them, you are not a mistake. You are not a mistake. So in other words, what I'm telling you to be, to, to be what God wants you to be is to be godly with content. Godliness with content, guess what? Leads to eternal riches. It leads to benefit now and benefit for eternity. So in the last couple of minutes, I'm going to rip and run before we do our Lord's Supper. Here's, here are a couple of things with verses. How do you do this? Let's, let's just, just spell it out. How do you do it? How do you be godly with contentment? First of all, pursue God. Set your mind on things above, not on things that are on the earth. Pursue God. Pursue the giver and not the gift as you're writing that down, listen to me, you can be orthodox in your theology and moral in your lifestyle and still not be godly. And that comes out of the gospel, the godliness thing. So we need to pursue God. Second thing is we need to trust in God's sovereignty, the one who works all things after the counsel of his will. The one who causes all things to work together for good. All things to work together for good. To those who love him. To those who are called according to his purpose. And that means your lot in life. That means the hand right now that God has dealt you. A third thing we need to trust. And just write down that single word. All of these have to do with the character of God. God's sufficiency. God's sufficiency. God is a big God, and we can trust his sufficiency. My grace is sufficient for you. My God will supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. We can trust his sufficiency. And then here's the acid test of whether we're doing those things that I mentioned, pursuing knowing and loving God, trusting in his sovereignty, Trusting in His sufficiency by how we are giving thanks to Him in all things. Give thanks in all circumstances for this is the will of God in Christ for you. In fact, the psalmist says that this is thanksgiving at times is a sacrifice. Anybody ever felt that? So know and love God, pursue Him. Trust in God's sovereignty, rely on God's sufficiency. Give thanks to God in all things, and then this could be the most important. It goes back to we brought nothing into the world. We're gonna take nothing out. Develop an eternal perspective. Even when you're young. Someone might say to me, Well, that's easy for you, Pastor Marty, because you're old. You don't have that much time left. The key is I I, I think that there is even more of a temptation when you get into the season of life that I'm in, to have that attitude, I'll I'll never die, but develop in eternal perspective. And all all of that goes back to, it's the grace of God. Grace doesn't just let us get by with what we want. Grace of God has appeared bringing salvation to all people, training us to renounce what? Ungodliness, world passions, to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in the present age waiting for our blessed hope. Let me ask you to bow your head if you would please. We're going to partake of the uh, the elements of the Lord's Supper in just a moment, but I want to pray for us because there could be someone who came in here today. You've been trusting in religion. You've been trusting in your own works the outward trappings of godliness, so-called. You're a moral person. You've even got sound doctrine, but you don't have that heart to pursue godliness. You, You need to be saved. It's as simple as that. And so I would ask you today, if you know that God has created you, to be a mirror for his glory. He's created you to be an image bearer. And you know that that image has been shattered because of sin, your own sin. Jesus sent his son in the place of evil sinners to die on Calvary's cross on our behalf. And you would believe that today. Maybe there's doubt. Here's where you need to cry out, O Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Grant me repentance and faith so that I will know you and pursue godliness with contentment. My prayer is that you will do that even today. So, Father, I thank you for that. And now as we segue into the partaking of the Lord's Supper, we ask you to help us in this simple symbol. In Jesus' name. Amen.